So I'm choking this guy out, and eventually he just sort of stops moving because I eventually put him in like a version of a sleeper hold, and I can't get out of the car, remember? So I have to reach around him, open his door, push him out of the car. Oh, he's back. It's world-class podcaster and all-round pretty crazy guy and huge intellect, Jordan Harbinger. He's back for part two of this super long episode, the first part having come out four weeks ago. Remember when he told us about getting into wiretapping as a child and listening in on his neighbor's conversations before pretending to be a girl online to catch predators, as you do, and those things sort of helped Jordan become uh, a podcaster because he was always so intrigued about other people. If you've not yet heard that episode, go back a few of them to find that. In today's one, Jordan talks about his podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which you can find in all the normal places and is one of the biggest interview podcasts in the world. He gives advice as to whether or not you should get into podcasting, so listen keenly if you're interested. Then we move on to his two kidnapping experiences. As in, he was actually kidnapped. As far as I know, he's not kidnapped anyone else. But that's pretty extraordinary. I don't know anybody who's been kidnapped, yet alone twice. Um, Although both times with him sort of ended up okay. Uh, There's so much to his story and his life that we didn't even get time to talk about. Um, Like his time in North Korea. So there's far more to Jordan's story. Get the bonus part on patreon.com slash Gold because we talk for ages you can also sign up on apple apple subscribers for that leave me a review and a rating on spotify follow me on andrew gold underscore okay on twitter and instagram and jordan get him on jordan harbinger on both twitter and instagram and please keep sharing the podcast with friends so it grows maybe you don't want to share it with friends all these all these requests i'll share it with your friends and you know maybe it's your own private thing it's your private time you're on a walk and it's just you and me talking nonsense um and you don't want to and also why should you do free marketing for me what am i some sort of hustler here getting you all to do free don't share it don't share it with anyone uh you don't need to anyway here's do share it around a bit here's the man himself jordan harbinger but but anyway you were able to get into the mind of someone else. That's what I find fascinating because that's two two quite unique, extraordinary stories um, involving law and the FBI and all that kind of thing. And you were is you getting into other, which is what got you into, I think. Well, we think podcasting and all of that. Is yours one of the biggest in in the world? Are there are interview podcasts? Are there are there many interview podcasters who get more listeners? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, Joe Rogan gets a lot more listeners than the Jordan Harbinger show. There are probably some in the UK or Australia that get more, but I don't know them. There are some other shows in the UK and Australia that get tons of listens. Like one is called like Hamish and Andy. I don't know if that's Australian. I think it is. They're like huge. I don't know if they're interview podcasts or if it's a radio morning show that's repurposed. Uh, there are like, there's a guy named Dax Shepard that's a armchair expert. He hit that show gets a lot and is an interview based show. Sam Harris in the United States, he teaches meditation and neuroscience and stuff. And he has a lot of political conversations. That's a very big show that I think is bigger than the Jordan Harbinger show. So yeah, there are definitely shows that are bigger, but it's funny because I look at my show and I'm like, well, it's big, but I don't look at it as huge. But then when you look at the other two point, whatever million podcasts, in the world and you compare it it's we're in like the 0.001 percent or something of 
downloads every every episode. Um, celebrity shows like Adam Carolla are about the same size as me, mm. maybe a little smaller. And you, you say uh, as well that you don't recommend to people that they get into podcasting. Why is that? Generally not. Uh, the reason is, so so like you're good at it, you love it. I love it. Uh, Dax Shepard's good at it, he loves it. Theoretically, I don't know the guy. Joe Rogan, really good at it, really loves it, right? But most people who get into podcasting, I say don't get into podcasting and don't start it because if you are like, well, I'm not gonna listen to you, Jordan, because I love it and it's really fun and I would do it for free, then I'm like, aha, you've figured out the trick, right? <laughs> now you should do it. You should go for it. It's a hobby. Um, it's the same. If you told me you love model trains, I'd say, cool, go ahead, buy a bunch of model trains and set them up in the basement. But if you said, I'm, I love model trains, I'm gonna be a professional model trainer, whatever that model train guy, I would say, good luck with that. Probably never gonna happen. Does that even exist? I don't know anyone who does that. And if they do, then <laughs> cool for them, right? Yeah. So I think about that with podcasting. Most people who say, I want in on that, they're kind of like, I want in on that because it seems cool to put my face on something and be internet famous and then make a bunch of money. And the reality is, for every thousand people you know that are doing that, one of them is making enough money to even pay for the microphone that they're using, and everyone else is sort of banging their head against the wall and never makes any money off their show, doesn't really love it, gets really frustrated with it, mostly doing it for validation and or money. And I'm like, it's the worst way to make money. Statistically, you're better off just buying lottery tickets, really, in terms of making money. And also... Uh, if you wouldn't do it for free, you're not going to do it long enough to actually make money doing it. Even if you're a celebrity, there's plenty of celebrities that start podcasts that are like, oh yeah, I have a radio show that has 200,000 people listening to it every Friday. And they'll start a podcast and they're like, yeah, my audience will just migrate over and they'll quit after 13 episodes because they go, I don't understand. I have 500 people listening to each one. And they don't really understand, like, when you're on the evening drive on Sirius XM satellite radio all over the U.S. and Canada, and you're at 5.30 p.m. on new the news channel, people are listening to that channel and your show comes on. That, that level of commitment is far different than the amount of people that are going to go into Google and type in The Jordan Harbinger Show or Spotify and then look me up and then subscribe because they're interested in what I have to say. That's like a 0.1% or less conversion from your yeah. regular audience and it's people don't understand that yeah not just that but twitter instagram like i find personally the the conversion from like twitter or instagram like putting it up on social media you do it anyway because you never know but i find like it doesn't really make any difference people no. quite big celebrities will share and it makes a bit of a difference that week and then it's not really a big thing you can't right. sort of move people from one medium to another can you it's quite you it's quite it's scary it's almost like you've got this gold now and like if podcasts right. suddenly died a death which i don't think will happen anytime soon then then how would you move to all these yeah. listeners to the next thing it would be really tough and luckily moving people from a podcast to something else is a little easier than moving them to podcasts because they're 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 like what's the word the inertia almost for getting to a podcast is tough because a lot of people are like what's a podcast right only like a quarter of americans listen to a podcast each month and it's even less in other countries so you're losing 75% of the people by virtue of the fact they go, I've heard of podcasts, but I don't listen to any of them as they scroll through Instagram and TikTok. And I know plenty of people, I'm sure you do as well, that are on TikTok and they've got like a million followers there, 400,000 followers there. And they go, oh, I'm going to start a podcast because I, 
I see what you're making and I want a part of it. They start a podcast and they get like, you know, a thousand people are listening to it. And they go, I don't understand. I have 400,000 people watching every one of my TikTok videos and I have 1,000 people listening to my podcast, but it's like a hundred times the amount of work to make a podcast than it is to make a TikTok video where I'm walking around in my front yard looking at flowers. They just don't really understand it. And so podcasting uh, audiences are far more valuable than social media audiences on a listener, like a per listener basis. And people will argue that, but the proof is in the pudding. As a podcaster, you or I probably get an, well, industry-wide, the average CPM, so the payment we get for a 1,000 people that listen is like 25 bucks. So if I have a show that has a 1,000 people listening, an ad on my show would then be worth $25. So if I have 100,000 people listening, that ad is worth $2,500. And then you put four ads in a show, and now you're making 10 grand for an episode of your show. If you have TikTok or YouTube, and you get an ad on there, your CPM is probably more like three to $5. So you need five or more times the amount of viewers on your YouTube video than I do in my podcast to make an equivalent amount for one ad. If you look at a YouTube video and it's got four ads in it, people aren't watching that. If you go through a podcast for an hour and it's got five or six ads in it, that's totally average. So the money in podcasting is far higher. And the reason is because the share of attention is far greater. For some reason, YouTube audiences just convert lower and don't do as well, which is actually quite counterintuitive and surprising considering that most YouTube audiences are sitting there watching YouTube or at least passively listening while in front of their computer. Whereas if I'm listening to a podcast, I might be at the gym, running, uh, I might be in my car, I could be washing dishes, I'm not in a place to click through on anything, and yet click through and conversion rates and income of the audience is far, far higher for audio podcasts. Mm. Well, it so makes, it makes I, sense to me. But like, firstly, because of what you said, that they have to go into the podcast platform and download right. it. So they're really engaged. They like listening to those episodes. And then secondly, mm -hmm. because they're on a run or they're jogging or they're cleaning up or whatever it might be, they're not clicking on about 100 different uh, things. Right. Also, I mean, the ad uh, ad blockers on YouTube, I mean, so many, almost everyone I know is engaging an, an ad blocker. True. Whereas they're Same. not doing that with podcasts. And, and often I think you feel the other thing is that sort of um, there's a relationship between the podcaster and the guest and the, the audience. It's a very intimate setting. So you, I think you get a lot of listeners who almost want to listen to the adverts because they want to help that podcaster grow and that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas YouTube is like, click, click, click. I, oh, I don't even know. Clicky, clicky, click. And then, yeah. oh, yeah. If I'm, you know. if I'm watching On the Edge with Andrew Gold on YouTube and a Lexus ad comes on, I want to skip that ad. But if I'm watching, if I'm listening to On the Edge with Andrew Gold and you go, hey, I want to endorse this company that helps support the show. And when you buy things from them, then it helps me. And I'm like, well, I needed some moisturizer. So I'm just going to go to moisturizer.com slash Andrew and like buy it through there because I needed that anyway. And also... You know, I love this show and I like hopefully he buys himself a beer with that. And then you scale that out to a few hundred people doing it. It's real money over time. But yeah, I don't care if YouTube slash Google gets another few cents for me watching a Lexus ad because to the actual YouTuber, I just want to get on with what I'm looking at. Plus, I might have that YouTube video might have popped up in my algorithmically served feed and I've never heard of On the Edge with Andrew Gold until five seconds ago. Now I'm watching a Lexus ad. Get out of my face. But if I'm. <laughs> If I'm listening to you while I'm walking outside, uh, then I, I've deliberately chosen to consume that episode of your show, and it might be like the hundredth episode I'm consuming. So at that point, we we have a weird, uh, what is it, like pseudo-social relationship, where since I've listened to you for a hundred hours, 
you're one of my close friends, whether you've ever heard of me in your life or not. Yeah, parasocial interaction. Parasocial, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so if I've got, if I've got ten million people con- downloading an hour of my voice every month, let's say even let's say that only half of them are listening in a given month, and the rest of them downloaded it and deleted it, which is probably it's probably more than that. That's a lot of people that feel kind of like they know me well enough that would want to see me do well, and. That's that means that's a lot of people buying a mattress or whatever when I sh- when I shill it on the show and say <laughs> what about, this keeps the lights on you know what about of those millions of people I mean I guess when it's that many you can't be replying to messages all the time because right now I'm at a point where it's quite fun and people message quite, you know a couple of messages a day or something and it's quite nice it's manageable it must have gotten to a stage where you've gone okay can't do this anymore and do you have any any sort of well for, for lack of a better word any crazies. Yeah, so funny you should mention this. One thing I promised myself early on. Do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Does that name ring a bell? Uh, he was. Wasn't he just on your podcast after mine? He was. After, yes. He was. Yeah. Business um, so, uh, entrepreneur. Yeah, and he's like kind of manic. Yeah. So I've known him since 2006 or something like that. And one of the things he told me was he engages with everybody. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that no matter how big I get. And he's like, do it no matter how big you get. And then a few years ago, he said... He, he like texted me because I was replying to some tweets where him and I were both tagged. And he said, you're the only person I know that replies to everything besides me. And I went, wow, that's interesting because how can that be possible? So I, to this day, reply to all of my emails, all of my DMs on Instagram, all of my LinkedIn messages, and all of my tweets. It's, there's can sometimes can be like a month delay or even a few weeks but I do it, and, and it takes, I spend at least an hour a day replying to that stuff. But the reason is because I'm convinced that, let's say, let's say you wrote to somebody, and you're like, I really love your book, and they don't reply. You forget about it. It's not a big deal. You don't hold it against them. You realize they're busy. But let's say that next year, you, re- you write to somebody else, and you say, I really love your book, and they reply, and they go, thanks. How did you find it? Oh, I saw it at uh, the bookstore, and I picked it up. What was cool? Thanks for that. What was your favorite part of my book? Oh, chapter six, where you talked about uh, nail file, the history of nail files. That was so interesting. And then I say, well, that's cool. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I'm going to have another book coming out pretty soon. I uh, hope you buy that one too. Really appreciate you writing in and, and let me know if you have any feedback on the size of the font in the book or the design of the cover or whatever the hell. Right. And you're like, wow, that author is amazing. Then if you don't think about me again for three years, but then you see my book come out again, you're going to buy it because you remember that interaction probably more than you remember the book. And the faceless author who you wrote to that never wrote back, you have a weaker connection with that person, even if you loved their book, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, well, how do I scale that with listeners where they just think, wow, Jordan's so awesome. He wrote me back. He really does care about me as a listener. This is amazing. Do I retain them longer? Do they support my sponsors more? I'm betting on that. I'm betting on that. And so that makes it worthwhile from a business perspective. From a non-business perspective, it's just really interesting for me to communicate with people from all walks of life, from all over the world, every single day. You know, because I am creating the Jordan Harbinger show for people that listen to the Jordan Harbinger show. So why would I not be interested in them as people? That would be weird. 
Yeah, I no, think it's, it's a nice feeling too, isn't it? It's, it's someone I I always wonder. I suppose with people like you or, or other people who who have reached sort of what I would consider the pinnacle, um, does it get tiring hearing nice things, compliments about your work? I'm I still love it every time I hear get a message. It's an ego boost, of course, and it's going like, oh, I love your show. It's a great show, and I it, it just gives me a little I don't know what it is an endorphin or or something. Do you know what I mean? A little do you dor- get that? dopamine rush. I do. I do. I will say that. After a while, this sounds horrible, but after a while, yeah, effusive praise, like it stops having the same effect, but I share it with my team. We have a company Slack and I'm like, hey, look at this person who got out in an an abusive relationship because of our show and the advice we gave. That's really cool. If someone just says your show changed my life, I love it. I love that. But it's kind of like the dopamine rush is like, boop, and then back down. But I love, I realize how much it took for that person to write into me. So I don't just like go, cool, bro, buy this, you know, buy my book, of which I don't have. I write like, wow, I'm glad to hear that. What are some of your favorite episodes? You know, what? how did you find us? I'm, I'm interested in enough to, to reply. Um, I think at some point, if you don't reply to your fans, you can get a little jaded and isolated. And then it's like, well, who are you creating for? Well, you don't really know because you don't know your audience that well if you're not talking with them. So what you're creating for yourself, that's kind of cool, but also a little bit weird. And it ends up being kind of circle jerky, like those artists that only create art for other artists and like no one else understands it. And it's like, well, you're the cool guy at the artist cocktail party that week, but are you really doing anything that's that valuable if you're only creating for like the 10 people whose opinions you hold in high esteem? I have to be creating for everybody that, listens to the show. It's hundreds of thousands of people. So I I need to be talking with them in order to find out what I like. And furthermore, it's actually expanded my repertoire and my work quite a bit. When I first started doing the podcast, I only talked about dating and relationships. I didn't really interview people. And then I would interview my friend who's like a former drug dealer. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting for me, but my audience might hate it. Send it out. And then the audience goes, more of that. That was so good. More of this. And I'm go, oh, okay. Then I do more interviews like that, and people go, oh, I have to tell you, man, I love your other stuff, but my favorites are now these criminal minds, or like, I love these money laundering episodes, or the mafia enforcer episode, or the war correspondent episode, or this celebrity interview that you did was so good. So it gives you permission to go outside of what you're normally creating, because you get permission from your audience. And that has really helped me develop the show, the Jordan Harbinger show into the show that it is today. I don't think I would bother have to, I would have just stuck with my niche where I was like selling eBooks 10 years ago. I would have just stuck with that and then gotten bored and quit. But since I am able to break outside of that niche, in part because I do talk to my audience, who by the way, send, they send me suggestions for interesting people all the time. You know, the bulk of the people you hear on the show are probably people that I find, but I would say like 30% are hey, Jordan, love the show. You should have this doctor on who talks about infertility. And I'm like, that's weird. And then I research it and I'm like, wow, this is so fascinating. So I have them on and it's because of a random listener who told me about this person or they go, my brother knows this guy who doesn't have a book, but he's like an arms dealer. Okay, yeah, I want that intro, you know? Wow, yeah. Yeah. What about about sort of negative uh, people? I mean, it's just a numbers game, isn't it? There's always gonna be some negative people getting in touch. Yeah, think about your neighborhood. And you have like a crazy neighbor. They're ma- they might not be that bad, but they're a little annoying. They're the old person who calls the cops because like kids are running around outside at 7.30 p.m. and they have Nerf guns and they're freaking out. Or like, a black guy walked by the house. 
he nine one one, and you're like, okay, she's ninety four. She doesn't understand. She got robbed once in the nineties, and like now she's racist. Like whatever. Imagine that scaled out to the size of a major metropolitan area. How many crazy people live in that place? And those are the amount of people listening to my show, or maybe a minor metropolitan area, right? That's the amount of people listening to my show. So of course I do get crazies. I will say though, and this is, I I don't want to jinx it, but I think I'm pretty lucky because a lot of the crazies I get are, I love your show so much. I want to know more about what kind of cats you have. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, you know, I'll send them a couple cat pics and then they'll send me messages every day about something that's like nonsensical, like what they're eating or something about how Bitcoin is a mind control program by the CIA. And they just want me to talk about it on the show because it's a public service message. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't get, I know where you live and I'm going to find you and kill you. I don't get those. Um, I do get people that are like, you're such an a-hole, you're so full of yourself, no one cares about your life, just, you shouldn't talk on your own show, just let the guest talk, your show sucks. And then I'm like, eh, whatever. And then three months later, I get the same message from the same person, and I'm like, sucks so much, you're still listening to it, huh? You know, so I just, I feel like they just like attention. So those people I don't reply to mostly, I will just starve them of, of oxygen, and they usually go away, because I feel like for a lot of those folks, they're so insignificant even in their own timeline that to get attention from someone, mm-hmm. that's what they're craving. And I've even had these types of people where I'll interact with them just out of curiosity. I don't do this anymore, but I'll interact with them out of curiosity and they'll break down and go, okay, I was too harsh. I really do love your show. I just thought you should have let this person speak more, but I listen all the time. I tell all my friends about it. And I'm like, oh, so you're just kind of this pathetic figure who- yeah thought they could write to me and then I wouldn't reply. But since you were super nasty and called my wife a mail order bride and said that I was a terrible person, you thought that would egg me into replying, which in some cases was correct. And then that would make you feel good about yourself. And that's really pathetic. And we kind of realize like how- You kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. I don't do it anymore because I realize I don't owe them anything if they're going to be that weird. I'm just going to like ignore. But I used to do that. And if I if it's a person where I see their email in my inbox and they were normal for five years and now they're sending me weird, nasty stuff, I'll reply. I've done this a few times. I'll reply and go, is everything okay? You used to be really nice. What happened? And sometimes they'll be like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed that you remember. And it's not that I remember. I see the email history in my program. And I'm like, no, you just... We've emailed a bunch before and you were like, I love the show. And now suddenly you're like, hey, you're a no talent clown. Screw you. Stop podcasting. And they'll go, yeah, I got divorced and I've been lashing out at everyone. And also I have an alcohol problem. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, don't apologize. It's fine. But like, don't do this crap because it's not helping you either. Go get help for your alcohol problem. Before I was on your show, I was on, you know, Chris Ryan's tangentially speaking Mm. So, and he's got like a whole um, Discord channel for his fans. They all, I don't know if he created it, but they all talk about, and I sort of did that stupid thing, which you should never do, of going to have a look after I was on his thing. And I said, hello. And I was like, hi guys, I've just been on this episode. If anyone wants to talk, because I'm the same reasons what you were saying, you know, you get to know people and maybe you'll convert a few more people over. And one guy said, he was from Canada, I think. And he said like, oh, I'll I'll listen to you now. And then the next message is on on the thing was, uh, I think you might be a bit of a cunt, actually. And I went, I was like just watching this happen. And he goes, wow. yeah, 20 minutes in, I'm pretty sure you're a cunt. And then he goes, right, I've listened to the whole thing and you're the biggest cunt I've ever heard. 
And wow. so I just didn't didn't reply to that. And then other people wrote nice things. So I replied to those. So he could see I was still active on it. And I was going, oh, thank you so much. It's so kind of you to say. And then he's going, why aren't you? Hey, why aren't you? And he sent me a private message then going like, hey, what, what's, what's going on? You're replying to everyone else and not me. And I said, you called me a cunt. Like, mm-hmm. what do you expect? And he goes, well, maybe I was a bit harsh, you know. Um, and I think it must have been a similar thing to what you're saying. It's just like this attention he needed to get uh-huh. me to reply to him. But why aren't they thinking these are real people like about us or whoever else? I don't know who yeah. those, it's mad, isn't it? I, I think they, I think a lot of, not to be that guy who's like, social media has ruined communication, <laughs> but social media has ruined communication. And the and, and what happens is, and I'm, I'm also not equally guilty, but I, I have been guilty of this, I should say, in the past, where I'll be on Reddit and someone will say something and I'll be like, this is the dumbest thing ever, nice take. And then I'm like, wait, 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 this is a person <laughs> at home with their kids who's like taking yeah. their time out to say something. I need to delete that and, and, and start over. But I think since people aren't in front of us and if you're the if the majority of your communication is with people that you're not looking at or aren't in front of you it it starts to over years become easier to just say really horrible things because you don't have any consequences where that same person if they were in a room they might be like yeah i heard it i mean it wasn't my favorite episode but like you're interesting guy that would be what they would have said but instead since you're not there they're like yeah you're a giant cunt and i hate you and you should die in a horrible fire from smoke inhalation you're like dude what isn't it sad that it's only consequences that hold us hold us back from saying horrible things? Un- unless not I suppose everyone. It's, it's seeing it's the not sadness, everyone. it's seeing the effect. And well, those people then, I suppose you're seeing right. that. Oh, I've hurt this person. You see their face. Remember though that that person is probably also in pain. Like if I'm at home and my kid is crawling around, and then he goes to bed, and I'm sitting there with a smile on my face on Reddit, and someone says something that's wrong, I might be like, actually, I think it might be more like this, but I'm. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it is because I've been in this industry for 10 years and like I think you might be mistaken about this. I won't say you're a moron, F you, stupid POS. Like I won't do that. The the time that somebody does that, that guy, that Canadian guy that thinks you're a cunt, that guy is sitting at home. He just got dumped for the 30th time by his online girlfriend that turned out to be a dude from Nigeria who he sent $600 to and he's kicking himself. Uh, He has nowhere to spend Christmas. He... has not uh, had a promotion and somebody who he hired four years ago is his boss now because he's not well-liked at work. So that's how he's going to act with people. Also, I don't want to be too much of a elitist dick, but you're talking about a Discord server for a podcast. So these are people that are so into an online community for a podcast that they listen to that they spend hours per day or per week talking with strangers on a show about a show that they listen to Cool. I'm all about fan communities. I have I, I participate in some, but I spend very little time, and they're usually on Reddit for things I'm really into. This is a person who's on a chat room. So what's their social life really like, right? I don't know. Maybe they're just a huge fan of that show. Maybe they have no life. Maybe they're socially not very well developed. So I try and keep that in mind when someone's like, you're a loser. Um, Adam Carolla is a show that I go on regularly. It's a, kind of a big podcast in the United States. And... and there's a Reddit forum about that show. And all these guys do is talk about how Adam sucks now and used to be great and how everybody on there sucks. And they'll they'll dig up like an unflattering and they'll post that in the Reddit and they'll go, look at the virgin. His wife's probably banging the pool boy. Like they'll write all this horrible stuff. And I used to be like, what the hell? And then I realized these are probably all just like unemployed jerk off losers. You know, like who's spending their time doing that? Not... Nor- not normal people, just sad, pathetic people. So I just sort of started to ignore that. 
And uh, another thing is on Reddit, you can look at what people are participating in. And, and a long time ago, this one guy was like kind of harassing me. So I started to look at his profile and he was in all these like weird porn subreddits. And I was like, this is a guy who's just got like a weird porn addiction, probably never had possibly a virgin, probably in his 40s. He's just a sort of pathetic loser type of guy who's angry at the world. So why would I value his opinion at all? You know, it's if that person met me in the street, it would be the equivalent of like a someone sitting in a pile of their own urine on a street corner and they're like, you're ugly. I'd be like, well, I don't really think that you're speaking from a position of authority here. So it, I wouldn't think mm. about it. For I just had my haircuts and everything. Yeah, you would they're say, making a yeah. comment on their on my haircut and they've got like dog feces in their hair. I'm not really going to pay attention to that person. And that's that's the internet equivalent of this, right? So I just started to sort of ignore that. But I don't, I think the beauty, the beautiful thing about podcasting is that in order to send me a message, you have to look me up on instant, uh, sorry, uh, I sent instant messenger. You have to look me up on Instagram. You have to send me an email to jordan at jordanharbinger.com. You have to take your time out and do that. You're not in some discord server somewhere discussing uh, something and being like, this guy's a cunt. It's just too easy. The, the, the barrier to action is too low for you're coming in there and asking for it. They would never even take the time to look you up and be like, you're yeah, a cunt, by yeah. the way. You know, they just yeah. wouldn't bother. <laughs> they wanted to get a rise out of you because you were standing in front of them digitally. Yeah. Well, just this guy. Yeah. yeah. And it was just one guy. Everybody else was like, I love this. This is great. Don't don't talk to him. That's the yeah. resident a-hole who shits on everything. You know, yeah. that's well, someone else did message that and said and said literally what you just said. He is the resident a-hole who shits on everything. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward 
at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, tell me, I want to move on to quickly. Um, and 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 we've oh, we've gone on. I mean, are you okay for a bit? I've of got time. time. I'm you good. Time. Yeah. Okay. You can edit tell- out all of the rambling if you want to. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Um, tell me about what was Kobe Kobe Bryant. You interviewed Kobe Bryant, who for those in particularly in the UK who don't know, he's probably the most famous basketball player of all time, or one of mm-hmm. them. Uh, a few months before he died. Um, how how was all how was it firstly to get to interview him was he a hero of yours are you a basketball fan and how did it feel getting that news a few months later yeah so i people always go why were you oh man you you why were you not starstruck and the reason is because i really don't care about basketball (laughs) so while kobe was literally a mega superstar you know a-list internationally famous can't walk down the street level of fame I think it's an advantage for me in my position to just not care. Like all these other people I've had on the show are like billionaires or super famous athletes or comedians or television stars. And I just don't really care. Um, they're interesting as people, but I don't go, oh my gosh, Matthew McConaughey, what do I do? I'm vibrating with anxiety. I'm just like, okay, I hope the friggin' internet doesn't crap out on me. That's where I'm at with it. But I was sitting there live with Kobe Bryant and doing the interview and honestly, the most stressful part about it was his publicist who kept popping into frame being like, five more minutes. And I'd be like, 10 more minutes, you know, like that, that was the more stressful part of it for me. So I really, but I did enjoy it because we talked about parenting and, you know, moving from one pursuit to another. Now I didn't move from highest paid NBA player or one of highest paid NBA players of all time to whatever he was doing, like author, creator, Oscar, Oscar winning movie maker, whatever. But I, you know, I can relate on that level, especially to fatherhood and things like that. And then after the show, we talked for a while. He signed a bunch of books for me and signed some other stuff for me. And that was really cool. We took a couple of photos. But then it did make his death, I think three months later, way more, is it palpable or like way more impactful? Because when I hear about a celebrity dying, I this sounds cold, but I didn't know them. I don't really care that much i mean it's a shame don't get me wrong but like if paul walker from fast and the furious dies in a car crash i'm not like oh my god i'm gonna cry that's a very funny example because i did meet him in a pub just before ah. he died <laughs> yeah that's an incredible example that you that you plucked out of thin air there i i yeah. happened uh i was in the states at the time and i had no idea who he was and i went into a bar and it was a very normal bar and i don't know why but for some reason he was there and i went and sat down at the bar and 
we spoke a little bit and he was interested because of my accent and all of that stuff. And then when I went away, I had a few friends who were American. Uh, you know, they said, do you know who that is? And everyone was going crazy. They were going crazy about it. And they were showing me on the phone and stuff, pictures of him. And I was like, oh my oh, God, wow. that's Paul Walker. So I did see then that he, when he died, I, not quite the same as having, you know, an hour or two hour long conversation that you had with Kobe. It was a five second thing at a bar. But, but it makes it example. so much more real, right? Mm. Like, like that he was a three-dimensional person that you thought, oh, he was kind enough to talk to me. He wasn't arrogant. He was just enjoying his time on this earth like anyone else and was also ridiculously famous and still cool and grounded enough to chat. That makes it way more sad than guy I've seen on two-dimensional screen passes away and won't make any more two-dimensional screen things that I can watch, you know, that I don't even really like, you know, because I'm not into that franchise or something. But and I don't watch NBA and Kobe was retired, but when he passed away and he died with his daughter. So as a father, I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And I took it much harder than I knew than even I expected to, because he was a real person to me that was really nice, had invited me back to do another interview. His assistant and his people were like, yeah, let's do it again next year. This is one of his favorite interviews this year. Like, you're really well prepared. This is cool. And I thought, wow, like high praise from Kobe Bryant and maybe like him and I can do these every year when he's got new projects and it'll be like a thing. You know, I'm not expecting Kobe to like invite me to a party or anything, but like it's pretty cool to be on the stamp of approval list for somebody as, as awesome as Kobe Bryant. But then he died and it wasn't just, oh no, there goes this opportunity for myself. It was more like, wow, this actual person who is really incredible and it impacted a lot of people died with his child. It was horrible. Yeah, so that did way. impact me quite a bit. Yeah. And so now I think I will never ride in a helicopter, uh, almost almost for sure. It would have to be like a very, I would have to be like on the roof of an embassy in a country getting a helicopter ride from a military pilot. I'm not going to ride in a helicopter in a canyon tour. This, this was not long after the, the owner of, of Leicester City Football Club in, in the UK, uh, he died uh, with, I think, I think it was with one of some of his family members. I'm not sure in a helicopter as the helicopter. It had it, he used a helicopter into the stadium, and he would go into the helicopter, and it got out of the stadium and crashed right near there, um, and that was the whole thing. And it was right. So, so yeah, I, I'm not getting on a helicopter ever. Never. I, and I've got friends that have like they, they have not like j nice nice jets, but they've got planes, and like oh man, you got to come flying with me on a sunny day. And my wife goes, you're never going to fly with him on a sunny day because it's a non-airline plane and he's a, been, he's a pilot with a few hundred hours under his belt. Like, no, you're not going. No way. If you, if you get invited to go on a jet with the LA Lakers or something and it's run by NetJets, go ahead. You know, or if you charter a plane because you're balling out of control one day and you want to do that, go ahead. But you're not getting on some person's airplane. You're not going on a, a helicopter that hasn't been maintained in three years because the pilot is private. Like, there's no way. So that that definitely made me think more about death and mortality because Kobe was younger than me. He was like 38 when he died or something Man, like that. Terrible. Horrible. Horrible. There was, there was, as you're saying, there was a private jet one as, as well in the UK. It was another football soccer team who bought a player. They signed a new player from France and he was coming over after they signed him. Uh, from France in a private jet and it crashed into the sea and, and he died. And then there's that awkward thing with that, with that because they had spent all the money, like 10 million pounds or something, to buy him 
and then he hadn't arrived and there was the whole legal thing but you're trying to oh, yeah. balance like the is the contract thing. complete if he hasn't arrived like we need a refund but then exactly. you're getting a refund from like his wife and child who just lost their dad and husband you're like yeah we're gonna need that money back from the very estate awkward. Very yeah difficult. very man tell me okay last last bit because i can't i can't let you leave without asking about this right most people have never been kidnapped uh, yeah <laughs> apparently been kidnapped twice what what's going on yeah so i don't want to play this up too much because people are always like oh it's a bunch of bs one of the kidnappings was probably an express kidnapping and i say probably because what an express kidnapping is is when you get into uh like a fake taxi and then some armed guys get in and go we're taking you to an, uh, five atm machines until all of your cards stop working and then we're going to kick you out on the street in the middle of nowhere or in downtown and then that's it and you're fine unless you try and like escape or call the cops i hope that's what was about to happen but i don't know because what this is 2000 before mobile phones i was living in mexico city i was broke and a kid so i you know 20 years old so i lived in like a literal kind of like barrio neighborhood with like people had not corrugated cardboard you know and wood homes but like not nice homes and there were no bus lines no metro lines uh, most taxis didn't run through there everybody was fairly poor a lot of old people a lot of young people commuted to work but like it wasn't a nice neighborhood there were houses that didn't have proper electricity and water for example in this neighborhood that i lived in and so not everybody but most or some i should say and so yeah it became kind of a thing where i would usually take these brightly colored school buses that had like mariah carey murals airbrushed onto them do you know what i'm talking about like those buses that they have in, yeah. <laughs> i don't know what yeah they have yeah. those in like developing but countries also religious stuff everywhere right yeah like a giant jesus virgin mary thing airbrushed yeah. across the whole thing and like yeah. or whatever just kind of like yeah. really brightly crazy colored uh, art on these buses i usually would take those but if i was going out i didn't want to go around the city for 90 freaking minutes uh, on a bus, I would take a taxi and I would take a taxi directly to where I was going and it would take like 20 minutes or 30 minutes instead of 90 minutes. And so one day I was going out as probably, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe even a little later at night, I got into a taxi and I told the driver where I was going. And at this point I'd lived in Mexico City for a while. So I knew we were going the wrong way kind of right away. And I was like, well, maybe there's an accident, maybe there's traffic. And then I asked the driver like, hey, what's, we're, why are we going this way? We're, go, we're going the right way. And I thought, that's weird. Maybe as a different way. But Mexico City's shaped like a bowl. I was going to the center of town. It's at the bottom of the bowl. If you're going up, you're going the wrong way, period. You know. And so then I was like, what's the deal? And he's like, oh, I need directions. And I was like, if he'd said there was an accident or road closures, I might've believed him. But since he said I'm asking for directions, I'm going to basically where the presidential palace is. That's like a taxi driver in Washington, D.C., saying, oh, I need directions to the White House. Or if you say I'm going to Leicester Square and you're in London and the taxi driver goes, oh, God, I got to stop and ask for directions. You're in a fake taxi. You know, the guy is lying. So that it, that freaked me out. And since I didn't have Instagram or mobile phone to distract me, I was just really paying attention and I get more and more and more nervous. And I was like, let me out. He's like, no, turn back. I'll pay you. He's like, no. And at that point, I realized I'm being held against my will. So I decided to get out and I realized I can't open the doors. There's some sort of locking mechanism by which I can't open the doors. And I couldn't pull the lock up because even though this car had those locks that went up and down, someone had raised the locks up, used a tin snip or whatever to snip the lock and then locked them. So you couldn't get your fingers around the lock to open the door. And it was like child lock or something. 
And I don't know if it was child lock, but it was like that same functioning where you can't open the door from the inside. This is like a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle. So I don't think it had child lock, but it had been rigged as to do that. And that freaked me out because usually you can just open those car doors. No problem. So then I realized like I'm I'm in trouble here. Uh, I'm not going to just be able to run out of here at the next red light. And then finally, after me sort of begging this guy to stop, he stops in front of this really kind of ghetto house. And he's like, we're here. I'm just going to ask my friends. And I was like, nope, this is definitely the point at which he goes in this house and gets like thugs out. And then they get in the car or worse, they drag me in here and nobody ever hears from me again. That's possible. So I'm like, don't get out of the car. And at this point, I'm 20 years old. I've been working out twice a day eating carne asada tacos and I slide behind him instead of sort of in the opposite seat. I was behind the passenger seat initially. I slide behind him and I'm like, don't get out of the car. And he doesn't notice that I do this, but I put my arm between him and the door because I don't want him to make a fast move. And he's like, nah, relax, relax. And then he suddenly goes to just get out quickly. But I had my arm there. So I reached around the seat and I had put both my forearms in front of his nose, which if if they, if it doesn't feel like it's going to hurt, uh, next time get a friend and put your wrist right on their nasal sort of nose bone here and and then pull in as hard as you can with the other hand. So it's called like an X choke, I think. And uh, I learned it at that security company back in the 90s. And it hurts like crazy. And the pain is so great that it'll cause eye watering. And usually the person will just immediately sort of freeze and try to do anything to make that pain stop. And then you can slide, they'll reach their arms up and you can slide down and you can actually put your forearm, the meat of your forearms over their mouth and the bottom of their nose, which makes breathing really, really hard. And if you're really uh, faster, if you have the ability to do that and you're strong because you have a seat in front of you, between you, remember, you can just choke them out like almost like a sleeper around the, the car seat. Um, but it depends how wide the seat is and all these different factors and how strong you are. So I'm choking this guy out and eventually he just sort of stops moving because I eventually put him in like a version of a sleeper hold and I can't get out of the car, remember. So I have to reach around him, open his door, push him out of the car. I realize at that point I can't drive a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle stick shift car because I don't really know how to drive a stick that well and I'm freaking out. My adrenaline's going a million miles an hour. So I decide to take the keys out and throw them. And so that he can't just wake up and get back in the car and chase me down in the car or run me over or whatever. So I get out and I'm running and I'm running back to where we came from for the most part. Uh, And I'm trying to flag down cars. No one's going to stop. And eventually I flag down this guy who's got a younger girl in the car who's probably about my age. And I I thought it was his daughter, but 2020 hindsight, probably his girlfriend. And I am like, get me out of here. And they're like, why are you here? Because it's not you're not in like a good area. You're also on the main side of a, like a periphery road that doesn't make any sense. And you're dressed in banana Republic button down shirt and like Chino pants, like, you know, dry clean only probably pants. Like, what are you doing? And I'm sweating and I've got like fake blonde hair and I'm a gringo is like yelling in broken Spanish. And so they're like, all right, we can't leave him here. So I'm like, I'll ride in the trunk. I don't even care. And so They're like, well, we're not going to make you ride in the trunk. Just get in the car. So I get in the car and they're like, where do you want to go? What happened? I'm like, this taxi driver, like kidnapped me, get me out of here, drive me to the police. And that's when they explained to me, there's no way they're taking me to the cops. 
They don't want to be involved. The cops might even be involved if this is like a kidnapping right, thing. Yeah. Definitely don't report it because it sounds like you murdered a taxi driver and left him <laughs> on the side of the road. And now you're like in the police station. You know, this is like there's so many ways this can go bad for you. I would just sure. get out of here. They're like, you just need to leave, dude. And yeah. I, they're like, does he know where you live? I was like, yeah, it kind of picked me up like in my neighborhood. And they're like, you can never go back to that neighborhood ever. Oh, my God. So Man, I. You, you went, know what? It's, it's, I'm just fascinated by the difference between because a British person if we talk about American and British sensibilities, my, my friend, the historian Tessa Dunlop, you know, she said on Twitter the other day that you front foot, uh, which I oh, haven't yeah. heard, heard before, but you are more direct, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I had a, I'll just quickly go. I had a similar thing in, in Medellin. I was living there in, in Colombia where the taxi driver was going the wrong way for a long time. And uh, he eventually went into this parking lot, car park somewhere, middle of the night somewhere, nowhere near where we were supposed to be going. And I was just like heart beating mm-hmm. like crazy. But I was so scared of being rude or impolite that I just sat there. And the guy got out of the car, another car pulled up. And in the end, it turned out they did a Coke deal. Right, I don't oh, know why he needed okay. me in the car at that point. He comes back in the car. I am like almost about to like piss myself from fear, and then he just turns around and goes, "Do you want some?" And I was like, uh, "No, no, just please, just take me wherever I'm, I'm going. Just it's fine, thank you very much." You know, but I would have in that situation you were in, I would have just been like, "Well, it does look like a you know house full of criminals, and he does have a gun in his hand and a knife, mm-hmm. and a, and he said he's going to kill me, but he might just be a taxi driver, and I don't. I would rather die." Then accident, then have been polite and got it wrong. Because there is a, is there a one percent chance that you that he was just a taxi driver? There's a, there's a more than one percent chance that he was literally (laughs) getting out to like get a friend and like drive him somewhere and just didn't want to explain that to a gringo who didn't understand a ton. I I mean, my Spanish was okay, but maybe he thought, "Eh, I don't want to like explain that I've got to go get my illegitimate like. Uh, yeah, be, like chick on the side. Uh, I'm bringing her <laughs> sure. into the car. Like I don't know, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So there is a, a chance of that, but whatever he did was inappropriate, and I got really scared. And I trusted my intuition because I was always taught to do that when it comes to self defense stuff. Sure. And also, every red flag in the book was going off, and it was like a really dangerous area. And he lied to me about what the reasoning was, and like twice. So I was like, okay, this is a dangerous situation. Um, there that that to me justifies it. Look, I didn't like rip his eyes out and like stomp on his head and kill him or something like that. I put him to sleep and he should know better than to do that if he really is an innocent guy. Um, but also there's an, there's an equal chance. Uh, I would say equally with the chance that he was innocent was that he's got a basement dungeon where he rips people's organs out or like cuts you into little pieces for satanic rituals. And I avoided that too. So I don't really feel bad about that. And furthermore, I checked with Mexican law enforcement officials a few years ago because I was flying through Mexico for something else. And I had some connections there through friends. And I was like, can you see if I'm like, am I on a list because this thing happened to me? And he's like, nope, uh, nothing like that, which either means that they don't have great record keeping and there's no database that they really could check or anything or that it was never reported. Well, it didn't have your name. That's true. That's true. But you just don't know. Like... I thought, okay, he doesn't know who I am, but what if I did leave something in the car that had my name on it? Or what if he did know who I was and the whole thing was targeted from the beginning because it was a ransom thing and they did know who I was? Like, I don't know. So I just wanted to make damn sure 
that there wasn't like any sort of chance I was going to get arrested at the Mexico, New, you know, Mexico City airport and be like, oh, you're on trial for the murder of this taxi driver in, you know, <laughs> in year 2000 uh, or 99 or whatever oh, it was. This poor right? guy. This poor guy is telling somewhere in Mexico right now, there's a guy telling his grandchildren about this crazy blonde young American guy who, who put him in a who sleep Who beat hold. him up for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Wow. Yeah. And he's like, that's why I don't drive a cab anymore. I got, I didn't, I didn't even get robbed, but he, he tried to steal my car. Yeah. What a story. So, but I, I, I'm more I'm more leaning towards just knowing everything I do now about those types of crime. I'm leaning much more toward that's where his son and cousin were. They were going to get in the car with knives and be like, you're going to get out and withdraw $300 from the following 10 ATMs until your cards stop working, and then you're good. And if you try and get away, we're going to punch you in the face or stab you. And So just get the money and that's it. That's what I think probably would have happened. So I still, knowing that was the most likely scenario, I still have no... I, I, I wouldn't feel bad at all if that guy was going to do that to me. And honestly, I, I shouldn't probably say this, but if he did suffer long-term damage from our altercation, but he was going to rob me, then I don't care. And I think he deserves it because he's probably robbed a bunch of people if that's indeed what was going to happen. Like, I don't think he... I wouldn't want him to be dead, but if he's like, oh, I have nightmares about this now, well, good, so does everybody who you threatened to kill and had to go to the ATM and whose vacation you ruined. Like, I don't really care. You know, I don't, you just, you, you deserved it. I might make this episode into like a double, a two-parter. Do it. That makes it easier. I don't have to cut it down so much then. Sure. I mean, I'll good. take it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that'll be good. Um, Tell me then, what was the other time? The other time was much more serious. I do go into all of these on episodes of my show, so I'll keep this one like extra short just because mm -hmm. it is longer. But I was working and living in Serbia, uh, in the former Yugoslavia, not Siberia, which is what a lot of Americans go. Wasn't it cold there? Yes, but not because of the way you think. Uh, this is and Serbia is great, and I love it there. I always caveat this story with that because I get Serbians that are like, "Why you got to be extra mean to us? You know, you don't have to shit on my country." I love Serbia. I've been back since. It was a really cool place. I've got tons of friends there that I talk to all the time. The food's great. I loved it. But. Um, I did get picked up by Serbian state security officers for uh, like an immigration thing. You have to register with the police when you come when you leave the country and come back. It's really annoying. It's sort of authoritarian bullshit. They the police will harass you whether you do this or not. They're really unprofessional. They always wanted bribes. They treated you like crap. They locked me up overnight in jail once because they were too lazy to process this little stamp thing. Um, I dealt with shit all the time. And eventually, yeah. even with the embassy's help, I would have to like call the police chief. And if he didn't call back in time, I'd end up like in lockdown with prostitutes chain smoking overnight. I'd have to miss work the next day. It's just bullshit. So I stopped registering with the police. And then I got picked up at a concert by state security officers, which are not professionally like FBI type folks. These are like militia guys from Bosnia who now have law enforcement cover. And they're like high out of their minds. They're aggressive towards their own citizens. This isn't like special treatment because I'm a foreigner. They were harassing everyone they could at this event uh, is a rave called Exit. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's really cool uh, party, actually. Long story short, they bring us to like a safe house area. They're abusing my friend who is Serbian. They're abusing me quite a bit as well. Not as much as they're abusing him. And I end up with an opportunity to escape that I'd sort of helped craft through some psychology and stuff like that. Uh, the opportunity to escape, escaped, got arrested again by the regular police who didn't believe a word of what we were saying until we described the type of car that they had and the license plate that they had. 
uh, in great detail. And then they started apologizing and they were like, oh yeah, this is not bullshit. Like they thought we were just lying and drunk. And I'm like, no, it was a black Jeep Mitsubishi. It had a plate like this and it had running boards and it was black and silver. And the guy was like, oh, oh man, I'm really sorry. Like he went from like, you lying junkie to like, oh man, I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear this. Because he was like, oh, you're, you're full of crap. Why would the cops do this? This doesn't make any sense. Oh, those cops. Like that was kind of the reaction. And then he was really cool about it and was like really apologetic and which is interesting because he's like a young guy wearing a bulletproof vest. Um, there's different police in Serbia. There's like traffic cops. There's these guys that look like SWAT guys that have like m- automatic weapons and like they're called militia. Like though, that's the guys who had arrested us the second time. And so he's sitting there with like this, you know, room clearing weapon sort of like in the car in a bulletproof vest and is like yelling at me and then goes to apologizing. And it was just kind of a weird, surreal scene to be like beaten and bloody in the back of a police car and having them be like, just so you know, Serbia is not always like this. Not everyone's like this. You know, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And I'm like, I know I live here, but it's weird to hear it from a cop who just arrested me and was like calling me names two seconds ago because they didn't believe me. And I don't blame them because the story is ridiculous. But the fact that we were able to describe the Jeep and the instance and the place where we were in such detail and they know it's a safe house, they were like, ah, not lies. Got it. Um, So, yeah, and we ended up, like, it ended up being kind of a big deal over there and in the news. And uh, it sucked. And it was, and what I learned actually made me appreciate, my Serbian friends were like, You've been officially inducted into what it's like to live here because they're like, that doesn't just happen to foreigners. It happens to all of us a lot of the time. Like, these guys can do anything. They pick on women all the time. They'll, like, drag women into the car. You can't do anything. They sexually assault people. They rob people. These are just bad guys. And they're traumatized and they're above the law. And I'm like, how do you have a cast of people that are above the law? And it's funny because now looking at law enforcement in the United States— most cops are good, but a lot of cops are really bad and they're kind of above, like try getting a cop investigated who robbed you. Good luck. Oh, police seized your car for being a drug dealer, but you're a, you're not actually a drug dealer and there's no evidence. Good luck getting your car back. Oh, you drove back from Mexico and they disassembled your brand new vehicle and then told you to go fuck yourself and now you have a, a broken car. Good luck doing anything about that. You know, like that's how it feels and, and it happens here all the time, too. It's not as bad, but it's bad, and it, ha- it does happen. And it's like, in Serbia, it happened a lot, and it happened a lot more, and it happened to a lot more people, and it was a lot more ri- widespread abuse of authority. So I really kind of have, like, this inside look at Serbia now, um, but I still really like the place because it was, like, one of the only bad things that happened to me there. Well, there you go. Now you know not to start a podcast unless you really want to, in which case you should. And I'm pretty sure Jordan simply attacked that cab driver who took a wrong turn, but it did sound like it might have been a bit dodgy. I think I'd have been dead because I'd have just been too polite. Anyway, that conversation continues in our bonus chat on patreon.com slash Gold or Apple subscribers or on YouTube members. There's three different ways to to consume more talking between us thank you for listening all of you please check out the jordan harbinger show podcast and follow him on his name 
on Twitter and Instagram. Leave me some nice juicy reviews. I've recorded this voiceover more than a month in advance, so don't have new ones, new reviews that is to share with you right now. In fact, I'm talking almost two months ago. So it's the 5th of January as I speak. I've just moved back into my flat, having spent Christmas and New Year at my uh, my family back in London. So you're, you're probably thinking now, wow, that sounds like an age ago. That sounds like a different time, a different planet. Uh, everything's so different now. And I would, just, I would just say to you, whatever the world looks like in February upon the release of this podcast, I hope you're all right. Uh, imagine if I, well, imagine if I die in the intervening months. Uh, and I know that's bad taste and you're going, oh, don't say that. And you don't want to think about that. Unless you're a psychopath, maybe you do. But it happens to all of us. And statistically, it probably happens to some of my listeners most months. And I don't even know about it, which is actually really sad. But if it does happen to me in the intervening eight weeks or so, this will sound like a ghost from the past talking to you. Anyway, hope I'm okay. Hope you're okay. Don't linger too much on the death. What am I talking about? I'll see you in a bit. I'll see you soon. Yeah, hope you enjoyed.